Money coming, money go. I've been at it. I've been at it on the low. Trapping out a while I keep seeing the leaders doing as we talking plans and maybe seeing you. Pull up on you, let me scoop. Nobody here but me and you. Got a little ring to it, turn a thing fluid in the coop. Why you look, I know it's real. I'm on my machine. Hey there, John. Brandon. Hello. How's it going? Going well, man. Going well. It's a, looking outside right now. We're about 75 degrees. Why are you doing the weather day. report? Why, why do you do this every time I call you? Uh, that's what I like, man. I'm living because <laughs> you just got done talking to me. How it's going to be negative something with 18 inches. So I'm like, you know, this is my moment to rub it in. Dude, it's, it's, <laughs> I'm going to give you the weather report now. 60 degrees here right now. And tomorrow the high is going to be like nine degrees and 18 inches of snow and ice. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. I, don't, I, don't, I, don't I like even it. Know what you're doing. I don't mind. Do you it. really? I don't mind yeah, it. No. I mean, if it lasted like that for four months, I'd mind it, but it's only going to last for two or three days and then it's gone. So I don't mind. I think it's nice. Yeah. I went and got food. We got firewood. If the power goes out, we're good. So, so it's been a pretty crazy week. Uh, we've gotten a lot of people contacting us since the last podcast, asking questions about maker mix and rad mix and pricing. And some people are sick of hearing about pricing. Some people want to ask us about pricing compared to what they've been using in the past. And so we want to kind of address those as we go forward. And this week, the one that we were asked from a few different people was how do we compare to Tech 10 from a company called Trinic? And Mm -hmm. so before we even go down that road, I just want to preface this with this comparison that we're doing is a comparison based on price and performance and you know ultimately the differences but we're not saying that's a bad product don't use no. that product anything like that there's guys right, we got to put our politically correct disclaimer <laughs> in so that yeah. we don't because we're not looking to upset anybody that's not what this is about this is answering a question Trinic and the guys are a great company if in fact we'll put on the table if you like their products hey stick with them but this is a specific question related to material cost. Yeah, from people that it. are interested in making a switch, but how does it compare? That's, that's Correct. the question. So that's the question yeah. we're going to address. But I, I'm, I'm going to continue with my little Joe Rogan disclaimer that I got to put on this whole thing is <laughs> we're not disparaging these guys. If you use no. Tech 10 and you like it, for the love of God, keep using it. Do Absolutely. not change. And that goes for anybody, for any product. If you have something that you like, why in the world would you change? We're not telling you to change. We're not saying what you're using is bad. We're saying if you're out in the market, looking around, you're like, hey, I don't know. I think I want to give it a shot. Well, this is for you, okay? So earlier today, you did some quick numbers based on the mixed design on their website for Tech 10. And it came out to $25.30 for 50 pounds, okay? The equivalent to that is Radmix. And Radmix comes out to $29.04 for 50 pounds. Now, that's a 13% difference. So 13% difference. And that sounds like a lot, but we'll break that down. If we look at square footage price, Tech 10 is $5.06 a square foot. Radmix is $5.80 a square foot. Now, I know John doesn't have his calculator out, so I'm going to give you what that is. That's 74 cents a square foot difference. 74 cents at one inch thick, okay? So that's pretty minimal, super minimal. And if we take into account pigment savings, because people that are using that product that have tried our product will tell you that Maker Mix, Rad Mix are significantly denser in color. So they're using way less pigment. So just taking the pigment savings, you're saving that 74 cents right there. 
let's talk about strength really quick. So this comparison that we're doing, we're doing it with the accelerator they use. Uh, what's that called, John? The accelerator? Stage two. Stage two. Okay. So the stage mm-hmm. two has a PSI at seven days of 13,964 PSI. Rad mix at seven days. The last test we had, which it's going to be better this time around because we made some improvements to it since that last test. But last test we had was 19,280 PSI. Uh, so that's a, that's a pretty big jump. That's 28% increase in strength. But if we look at apples to apples, and apples to apples would be Tech 10, Portland, and Sand versus Radmix, Portland, and Sand. The Tech 10 at seven days is 11,305 PSI. Again, Radmix is 19,280. And the difference between that is a 42% difference. So it goes from 11,3 to 19,3, essentially. That's a really big increase in performance, again, for 74 cents. Now, what does that increase performance mean? Well, it means you have a denser mix, you have a stronger mix. But for us, the strength is great. I mean, nobody doesn't like the concrete yeah, to be stronger. You know, you're like, oh, yeah, right. that's a horrible yeah. side effect. It's stronger. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a good thing. But for us, it's the density of the mix. Today, we're going to be interviewing Simon Tipple in Canada. And Simon has really kind of been blowing up your phone lately. He's super excited about the mix. But one of the things he's super excited right. about is the density of it. Mm-hmm. He's not having to slurry all these pinners that he's had to do forever. And that's such a huge time savings for him. That's, that's how that translates. So that huge increase in performance directly translates to the density of the mix. The density of the mix translates to how smooth it is, how clean it is, how, you know, compacted it is and, and uh, consolidated. So that's that. Yeah. Lowering labor costs. Yeah. I mean, what I really like about Simon, since I've talked to Simon, I don't know what it's been, six, eight months you know, Simon, what I really like about him is the years that he's been in business, he has used a variety of products, a variety of sealers, and, you know, he's, he's following this path, this path that he's, in fact, he's done training courses. We're not going to put those under any spotlight per se, but he's taken training courses. He's followed the path of those training courses based on the information he got. And it's, it's, he's a great person to have these conversations, not about, ooh, you know, what admixture you likes or hated, but how does all of this equate to what you and I continue to focus on? And that is overall cost in relations to business, time, you know, what, what you give up, what are you gaining? What's your sacrifice? What's your time with your family? I mean, this is where it all boils down to where the rubber hits the road. I think I've said a lot of times, and I know you believe this as well, there are some amazing artisans out there that have come and gone. And the difficulty with most of them has been not that they can't make amazing things. It's that putting it into a practical business sense is why they're not here anymore. Let me... uh... Rewind this back for one second, because I didn't finish my cost comparison here, John. Okay. Let's just talk about, because this is, this is real world comparison, an eight square foot sink, eight square feet, an inch thick. And most of my sinks are inch thick. I do a, a drop edge, but it's inch thick. Eight square feet. The cost difference between Tech 10 Mix and Maker Mix, and this is for using the Stage 2 accelerator, so it's a stronger mix. The cost difference is $5.92 for that project. That's the cost difference. If we're talking about a 60-square-foot countertop, an inch-and-a-half solid, so 60 square feet, inch-and-a-half solid, you're just pouring an SEC, you're popping it out, 
For that, the cost difference is $67.32. So it's just one of those things that, just to put into perspective, so we're not, you know, people aren't thinking, because I, I, we do have conversations where people think we're several thousand percent more expensive. So it's one of the things like these are real world numbers and this is, these are real, real world examples with pricing as of today and, you know, being super fair with, with uh, our comparison here. Well, I think we, we find ourselves time and time again, focusing on this part of material cost, which inevitably I think so many people, well, well, too many people are focused on when that's not the focus any of us truly should be in a business. Our true focus should be getting materials out the door, meeting with clients, the next project. You know, so these things, when we boil things down to 70 cents or a buck 50 a square foot or whatever it comes down to, I think the people that are finding success, whatever version of their success is, they are undeniably this that this conversation is nowhere to be found. And probably if they're hearing our voice right now talking about it again, they're rolling their eyes thinking, oh my God, why are they talking about it again? Well, you talked to Jason Robertson this week and, yeah. and he brought up, exactly, guys, specifically, I'm yes. sick of hearing about the cost. The I'm cost isn't important. I'm hearing about it. Yeah. yeah, I got it. But and Jason does have it. Jason Robertson, yeah. he understands. But a lot of guys but, are still stuck on it. That's why we keep talking about it. Because this, what agreed. we talk about on this podcast are the questions we are asked during the week. So the topics conversation that John and I are having offline with people are what we talk about on this podcast. And the conversations keep coming up about cost. It's for whatever reason, people are still hyper-focused on it and still have this belief that it's so much higher than what they're using. I want to try you guys. I'm using this. How does it compare? You know, what what are we looking at? So that's, that's the only reason we're talking about it. I'm sick of talking about it as well, but it's one of those things that as long as people keep bringing it up to us to address, we'll continue to address it. I agree. No, it'll be great when we start moving into, I mean, this will always come up to agree, but some subjects related to, you know, how to increase design, how to, what customer base. I want to talk to more of the people who keep finding success. We brought up Jason Robertson. I was literally just talking to him yesterday. A great conversation to him is seeing where his business is going and, and how he's getting there so that other people can listen into the choices that he's made to continue to be successful and how they're, you know, maybe they can implement some of the same strategies that he's done. So I look forward to those kind of things. I don't think this whole material cost thing's ever going to go away because it is so focused on, but if we address it and keep talking about it, you know, I think it's a good thing. Well, what I'd like to do is not every week, but maybe bi-monthly, we choose a product and we do the comparison. We're not, we're not comparing products or not, you know, don't use this. No, no, no. We're comparing no. price. And then when guys contact us or ladies or whatever, them, they, it doesn't matter. Whenever somebody calls us and asks, I'm using this, whatever it is, how does it compare? We can say, go to this podcast episode and we talk about it. We, we break it down for you. So listen to this. And that way we'll just have that historic record of, price comparisons. So, because it's going to continue to come up again and again. Well, what's funny is as we're sitting there talking about it right now, I just became to wear to myself that are other companies getting these questions? No, no. We, we are like the redheaded stepchild of this industry to where everybody like holds us to a completely different standard for some reason, which I do not do. understand. 
No. But we're, we're placed in this different box of, hey, all these guys over here, they set their price. Nobody questions it. It's a fair price. You guys... We don't know what you're thinking with these crazy prices, trying to rip off everybody. Right. It's like, yeah. we're not ripping off anybody, dude. It's uh, yeah. 74 cents a square foot more for double the performance. Uh, I think that's yeah, fair. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I could be wrong. I, I'm typically wrong. So uh, really quick, because I keep forgetting the last couple of podcasts, I haven't touched the subject. We do have a class coming up in three weeks, less than three weeks by the time you listen to this podcast. It's the spring Pinnacle Concrete Camp. It's going to be February 21st, 26th through the 26th in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Dusty Baker, John Schuler, Brandon Gore, GFRC, UHPC, ECC, Fabric Forming, Dusty Crete, Upright Casting, Business Practices, Pricing, you name it. We talk about it. Best class in the world. It is going to be amazing. I hope you come. I hope to see you there. So that's going to be a lot of fun. To register for that, go to concretedesignschool.com, click on the link at the top, and you can register. Second thing, we're going to have an open studio, a demo day, whatever you want to call it. That's going to be on February. What day is it? The 28th? The 28th, yeah. That's right. The following Monday, which we just had some more signups. Exactly. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So February 28th is going to be the open studio demo day. And that's for people that, surprisingly enough, we're having a lot of people that have been to previous Concrete Design School workshops coming to the demo day, which I love. Come on out. I think yeah. what they did is they, they came to Concrete Design School. They went home. They didn't do a whole lot of concrete for a while. Now they're wanting to do some stuff, but they want to come and learn more about the Kodiak Pro products, which weren't available two or three years ago when they came to a class. That one day event is where you come, you, you uh, mix concrete with me and John. We cast it. We cure it. We seal it. We answer your questions, whatever they are. It's not a training class, but it's a a day to get comfortable with the materials and to have your questions answered about the materials. And that's what we're here to do. So to sign up for that, go to KodiakPro.com, click on shop, click on uh, open studio. That's a new, we have a new system with uh, categories. So click on open studio and you can register there. It's a hundred dollars, one day event. Next thing we have some new stickers in, by the way, but we have uh, the Concrete Gangster stickers, which we're sending out. I also have one that says Concrete is Hard, and I have another one that says Never Underestimate Hydraulic Pressure. And the way you get a sticker is you go to uh, Facebook, like Kodiak Pro, join our discussion group, then send us a message either through the Kodiak Pro website or Instant Messenger or whatever, and say, hey, you know, I, I joined the discussion group. Here's my address. I would like this sticker. Tell me which sticker you want. I'll send you whichever one you want. Uh, And I'll put that in the mail to you and send it to you. That's number one. The other way to do it is you go to Spotify or Apple and leave us a review on Spotify or Apple. And again, send us a message through the website or through Instant Messenger with your address and which sticker you'd like. And I'll put that in the mail to you. So those are the the highlights that I wanted to hit really quick. What else do you want to discuss, John? Well, I wanted to discuss anybody who's interested too, some, some new swag. So we went out. We spared no expense to get an extremely handsome model for some new hats and beanies. And those are pretty cool if anybody wants to go check those out. I actually just got one in, and I personally <laughs> love it. What's funny is, we, we talked about that in the last podcast, but we got these beanies in, and the day they came in, it was dumping snow here, like blizzard. And I put the, the uh, beanie on, I just walked between my shop and my house. And in that walk... I got, you know, covered in snow and I just took a, like a selfie and I sent to John and John's like, dude, you look like an awesome, you look like an REI ad. And I like died (laughs) laughing when he said that. But, uh, so that, yeah, so that's up. 
We have some new hats that just came in, Kodiak Pro 7 panel trucker hats. We're going to get those on the website soon. We have some uh, camo. The, the seven panels are camo, which is really cool. But we have some snapback camo Kodiak Pro hats coming in. So we got all kinds of merch. And yeah, if you want to, yeah, if you want to get some Kodiak Pro merch, uh, just go to our, our website and click on that. And we'd love to send it to you. So all kinds of fun stuff. What else, John? What else? No, that's it. Let's get Simon a call. I'm, I'm getting Simon a call. Uh, someone with experience in products and Canada and his difficulties along the way and why he's making the transition and the road and the path that he's choosing now. So, Well, before we call cool. Simon, let's just preface that I know how this conversation is going to go because you and Simon have been talking back and forth this last week, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So Simon is super excited about Kodiak Pro products. He was very, uh, what's the right word? Not hesitant, but very mm, untrusting of what we were telling him initially, I would say. You know, we yeah, say this, say that. and we hear yeah. that from a lot of people. And another person, which Absolutely. we might get him on a podcast here soon, is a very scientifically minded, concrete person that mm-hmm. was having a back and forth with you. And he used Kodak Pro products this week and wrote these really amazing reviews to you that that you shared with me yeah. about mm-hmm. how everything we said he thought was total bullshit. He thought we were salesmen <laughs> making yep. it up. And all his time, he's never seen this. Yep. And he, he cast it. And that's what we tell people. You have to have a frame of reference. He cast it, he sealed it. And he's like, oh my God. And all my time, I've never seen this. I thought you guys are totally talking shit. I thought all this was made up. Yep. It's not. I tested no, it. No, he literally pulled the trigger to get some materials to, I don't know. I wouldn't say prove us wrong, but basically to prove us wrong. Like he was so skeptical that this is total bullcrap. Well, prove himself right. he has right. an extensive background. Yeah, prove himself he has right, an because in his mind, yeah. what we said couldn't be true, because how could it be couldn't different be than everything else? So he's going to prove himself right. right by proving that what we said wasn't true. Correct. Yeah. And instead, yeah, he, <laughs> I was laughing at his comments, but yeah, it's just one of his first comments was to call it, you know, alien technology, because, and he talked about some of the stresses that he put it under, that he's in his past used to doing, uh, working for a company doing cement testing and concrete testing and concrete development and product development for a specific company, uh, a very large company, by the way. So yeah, it was pretty cool. It was a pretty cool back and forth and, um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. So I think Simon was along the same path. He had, he'd run his business a certain way. He was finding success, whatever that success was meaning to him. And so, you know, he was one of the first guys on West Coast Canada to pull the trigger, skeptical, pulling the trigger. So, yeah, kind of cool to get his feedback. Are you making tea in the background? What the hell do I keep hearing? I don't hear anything. I heard like sneakers squeaking around and uh, all kinds of stuff. Teacups. In my mind, you're making tea. Really? No? Afternoon tea. I'm just, I'm literally sitting here at the table. Hmm. I don't believe you. Yep. Sorry, man. Hmm. Hmm. Is somebody else in the room with you? No. Nobody's in the room. My cat. Your cat's making some hell of noise. Chair. No, there's something going on. She's sleeping on the chair. <laughs> well, anyways. All right. Well, let's get Simon on the phone. It's a Wi-Fi specter, man. Mm. Wi-Fi specter. You're hearing things. Mm. Right on. Yeah, let's get Simon a call. Let's, let's do it. All right. All right. All right.
All right. All right. All right. All right. Can't wait to talk to Simon. <laughs> <laughs> I really grind like it's sending me. Saw so trip, I got the recipe. And you can find me where that pressure be. Elevation, I've been levitated in the preparation. I've been meditated, I've been hella patient. I'm so tired of waiting. I got right here with my day. From where that crevice be. So our guest today is Simon Tipple. He's up in Canada. How's it going, Simon? Terrific. Hey Simon. Hey John. And what's the name of your company, Simon? Phoenix Concrete Works. Phoenix Concrete Works. And where are you located? We're, we're about an hour uh, north of Edmonton, Alberta. So we're in Westlock, Alberta. Nice. Yeah, Canada to me just is one place. Yes, yeah. I can see that being uh, true for many <laughs> Americans. Yeah. Oh, you're just down the road from so-and-so. No, it's, yeah. it's a pretty big country. I mean, it's uh, the second largest country in the world still. Um, so there's, there's a lot of space up here. Uh, but not that many uh, concrete designers. There's a, there's a good handful of us. There's there's uh, several concrete guys in Edmonton that uh, I think also use Maker's Mix and ICT, which is nice. It's always nice to see. Uh, I, I I really love it when our competitors are on the same page as us. It just adds value to what's going on in the market, right? It's um, I I I never want our competitors to do poorly because it it keeps me accountable, it keeps them accountable, and as an industry, we grow as a whole. So you didn't start off with Maker Mix. You started off with a different product, but you made the switch to Maker Mix. What what led you away from what you're using and to make the switch to Kodiak Pro products? We've tried a lot of different products. We've we've used I've used Forton, I've used Polyplex, I've used Tech 10. Uh, we've we've tried different Poslins. I ordered VCAS and then that was a non a non-start. I actually bought four bags of VCAS out of Tennessee. Uh, we had to drive down and get it. It was actually cheaper for me to drive to Tennessee, pick up the four bags than it was to ship wait. four bags from Tennessee. The, whoa. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. wait. Yeah, you was, drove from Canada to Tennessee to get four bags? No, wait, well, West coast of Canada. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, there was a couple other things on that trip that, that, uh, when, when we got into concrete, I, I explored a lot of different avenues. Like and, cocaine? And was, kilos? Were you getting kilos <laughs> of cocaine in Tennessee? You, you know, what's the secret here, Simon? Because nobody's going Nobody. there for VCAS. I did. I did. I drove to no. Jacksonville. No, to, you're a mule. Go, I went directly straight there. Yeah, you'd think, right? <laughs> uh, you know, trying to come back across the border with four bags of white, white powder in the trunk of the car makes it interesting, right? And in, in the trunk of you, there is a... Uh... Some baggies, I think. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's crazy. Black tar well, heroin or something was there. there. There's no way. The story isn't complete. So, no, that's that's true. Uh, so we went down <laughs> to uh, we went down to Arkansas and I, I took a course down in Arkansas on spraying concrete and, huh? and doing. And yeah. So there's not not spraying concrete the way that we're talking about, like GFRC, but uh, painting or staining concrete with basically dyes like their ameripolish is just down in in um i can't remember the part of tennessee or sorry in part of uh, arkansas that ameripolish is made right down there but there's a course that i could take down there to learn how to do uh deckling and decorative concrete down there uh, i took a, a precursor to that at the world of concrete and uh uh, we did. I, I took a lot of courses at World of Concrete back in in 2019. So we kind of explored a whole bunch of different avenues as far as decorative concrete went uh, to get going. Um, 
but since since Arkansas is just a stone's throw away from Tennessee, I'm like, oh, I might as well go there and, and pick up the VCAS. So I, I, I whatever, probably what a extra eight hours worth of driving. Eight hours one way, yeah, so sixteen round trip. Here, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was already I was already most of the way there. Why not? Yeah, yeah. I mean, to you guys, the United States is just one place. You know, that's right. Hey, exactly. You're in the U.S. Yeah, I'm going there. Yeah, it's, I'll pick yeah, it no up. problem. Yeah, I'll pick it up. Came to get VCAS. Turned out VCAS wasn't the the right thing for you. No, no. Um, in, in to buy it in bulk, or whatever. So we phoned to find out to to bring it up here. It would have been fifteen hundred dollars to ship it up here. Uh, unless I bought like a full pallet quantity. And I was like, well, you know, is that going to be the porcelain that I want to use? I'd, I'd taken some training and they were, had, had said, yeah, I don't, VCAS is a good one. Uh, Medicalin is another one. Uh, Medicalin was another one. They, they, they have a plant that makes Medicalin in Saskatchewan, which is just one province over. So, I mean, that's only, you know, an eight hour drive from, from where I'm at to go get the Medicalin. But the catch 22 is I have to buy enough to do about $3 million worth of concrete to even make it feasible. And I'm like, is Medicalin going to be the one that I want to use as well? So it's, it's, uh, well, we went through so many different ingredients trying to find that right fit. And I was never really truly happy with all of them. A tech 10 up until the point of finding Radmix was kind of the best I'd kind of found at the time. Uh, we'd used CSAs as well. Uh, you know, we'd used Cementol, we'd used Rapid Set, uh, CSA with our own sands and a few others but to find to find that right magical mix if you will like there's there's different issues with every one right so one of the things is that we, we're i was telling john uh we're still working our way through those approvals of of quotes so you know we've we've gotten a lot of quotes that are you know they're in our job list i've got to finish them with the product we kind of started with because those are the colors and the the things that the elements that they were looking at i'm slowly working to try and get similar colors out of radmix but i just did one here last night we did the pour so i went with uh, probably about a three percent load of black pigment that we're using and that's probably really close to like a six maybe a seven percent of what we were in tech 10 like it's so much blacker than anything that i'm used to like it's it stole the night as, as far as darkness, right? It's like, it just stole the darkness of everything, right? It's just like uh, almost non-reflective. It's like, holy smokes, I didn't realize I could get it this dark in such a low loading. But with a lot of those things, uh, especially like if I used a, a black in some of the other mixes, I found like, I, the, I, I kind of brace myself. It's like, okay, tomorrow is going to be polish, fill pinholes for half a day, polish some more, fill more pinholes, because I just ended up with more bubbles in it with the, with the uh, pigment that we happen to be using. And, and there just doesn't seem to be a way around it. Uh, but last night's mix was completely different from anything we poured up to that point, right? It's, it's just so dense. It's like, it's like switching from an oatmeal consistency to like a really creamy peanut butter or, or milkshake. Like it's just, it just pours different. So it'll take some getting used to, but I think that the end of the day, that's a good thing. If I'm not having to fill pinholes, if I'm not having to correct for, not imperfection, but correct for the things that I didn't like about the other mixes, that's my time and that's more time I have to work on other projects. Yeah, agreed. I mean, that's that's one of the things I'm going to say consistently. 
And I, I realize, you know, Kodiak Pro is kind of new to the table, you know, new to the market. Brandon and I came, you know, full-fledged about mid-last year, introducing these products to people. So, you know, the wave initially is, you know, product cost, cost per bag, and so forth and so on. And this ongoing conversation, as Brandon and I continue to, you know, focus and break down and make these kind of information plausible to people to see what is or is not expensive and how do you calculate this as a business. I would still say, and I think we can all agree, then in my opinion, I think there's some amazing artisans out there. I mean, just they can make some amazing things, but breaking things down into business and either square foot cost in your materials or true raw materials cost, and then ultimately labor that goes along with those that is very difficult for people to put in perspective when it comes to business. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people, uh, you've mentioned it on numerous podcasts, right? Stepping over dollars to pick up dimes. It's, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand, you know, if you could get out of the way of yourself, you could be profitable. Like if you can just get out of, of hey, I got to, you know, that's, I got to wash this bucket because that bucket's going to cost me money and spend 30 minutes washing a $2 bucket. What sense does that make? At some point, you've got to be like, okay, I've got to spend time engaging with my clients. I've got to spend time uh, getting the product out the door in a, in a way that is timely instead of spending all your time fighting the things that if there's products that can make those woes go away, it's just foolhardy not to use them. You know, like if, if like we, you, I think you've talked about Sacrete and a couple of other ones. Like, there's some, there's a million different bagged products out there. But if they if they produce mediocre, then and you using them, then the best you can hope to achieve is a mediocre business. You just you need to use the best products available to you to have success. It's just it seems like a no brainer to me to to go and do things. Like, why would I cut my my throat to to try and save a dollar? That doesn't make sense. The, the overall cost across the board, so much, in, I literally was talking to Simon about this the other day. Over the years, a crazy thing to me, now this is my own perception, has felt like things are held to different standards. And here we're talking about price. Simon, you're one of those people. You've used lots of different mixes with lots of different expectations over the years. The labor involved, you've certainly used a variety of sealers which you and I have had that conversation and we're not just focused on sealer performance, storage, turnaround, freeze thaw. I mean, these are a lot of, I mean, these are all, you know, encompassing running a business when you make your choices or try to make your choices anyway, moving forward. And I'm going to quote Simon. Simon, you remember when you first called me and I can't remember, I think, right. Then you, you, you read, about ICT on a forum page somewhere. And then you called me out of the blue and you were like, I don't understand how I've never heard of you or from you before. And then as you keep moving forward and you and I have these conversations focused on both success and achieving success, but breaking those successes, not just by waving a bunch of pom-poms and cheerleading about the materials, but how it equates into your business to run a more profitable business across the board. Again, from materials, material cost, storage, expiration, freeze thaw, you know, I mean, what's your input on all that kind of stuff? Because you're clearly living it like the rest of us. 
we talked about that briefly the other day. The temperature in my shop, we were talking about the the getting everything right to do a proper seal with a topical. And I'm not trying to bash any topicals because we had topicals that I was using that I liked. I liked the way that they felt when they were all done. But to get that perfect blend of, of okay, I need to have the humidity at XYZ. I've got to have the temperature at ABC. I've got to have the sun shining through the south window at two o'clock in the afternoon. And it has to be two degrees warmer on the north side of the shop kind of garbage. I was like, okay, this is frustrating. I cannot keep my shop conditions optimal all the time. It's it's too much of a headache because, uh, you know, if if I'm processing somewhere else in the shop and my humidity is high, then I'm having sealer issues down the road, right? I'm having whiteness showing up in my sealer. It's like, well, as a business, like I can't stop my shop every time to do a seal on a project and I can't hold on to every project till the end of the week so I can seal them all on the same day. And and then we were sealing at, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon. So I'm not putting any dust in the air. And then I'm coming back at eight o'clock in the night to turn off the temperature. So, you know, like if we're, if we're heating it, there's so many elements uh, to try and keep everything optimal. And then if I do have a failure and you, and you talk to some of the people that have these different topicals, and I'm not going to point any names, but it's like, well, you must've applied it wrong. It's like, well, how many hoops do I have to jump through just to apply it? And it's kind of a, at that point, it, I, I think if I would have continued down that road of, of having to use topicals long-term, I could see me shutting the shop down because I'm, I don't want to be a topical salesman. I want to be a concrete guy. I, I don't want to, uh, I, I wonder how many businesses of, of concrete artisans have, have given up on just whatever they're putting on for a sealer. You know, I'm sure that there's there's a lot of guys that are like, okay, this is this is too frustrating. If I can't get it right, then I'm done. Right? It's it's that mindset. But it's it's what what am I doing? Am I selling the sink that I just made, or am I selling the topical I put on it? Um, and that's that's why when we talked, I was like, uh, and I remember that conversation when I phoned you up, John. It's like, right? Like, how did I not? How did I miss this for two years? How did I not see it? It's because there's so much focus on it, right? It's like, I think you guys have talked about the sealer of the month club, right? It's yeah, I, I tried, I've got probably, I don't know, eight or nine different other sealers sitting on my shelf that will probably just end up in the bin in the next month. Cause I need the room for other products. It's, it's, and when I say other products, I think, you know, it's, I, I just finished my order with you yesterday. So that's the product that's going to replace those, those things on the shelf because I need a product that, works consistently in a timeline that works for my shop. Yeah, I just forgot to tell you that um, I've been holding on to that stuff for eight months. And, you know, the expiration is uh, nine months, eight months and 10 days. Yeah. <laughs> so was, was that you, Simon? Uh, by I heard the time a, it gets, <laughs> I heard a story that somebody bought sealer from somebody and uh, we're not going to say the company's name, but somebody bought sealer no, from somebody. Right. Was this you that this yeah, happened? I've, yeah, I did. I had, I've got, uh, so we bought sealer in, in the fall of last year or a year and a half ago now, I guess, whatever, however you want to say it. And I bought the sealer in, in October, I, I ordered the sealer on the last shipping day before winter rates kind of go in, right. It's kind of, you know, how winter, winter escalates everything. Uh, so the, the thought was, is okay. I'm going to order six months, six months of sealer upfront. I'm going to spend 
$800. I'm going to order the sealer. I'm going to bring it in. Of course, this is in the middle of COVID. So I'm, I'm speculating on how much I'm going to use. So we get to February and I open up a can and I've got eight ounces of Jello. I've, like you, you, you can't stir it. You can't do anything with it. So I phoned the manufacturer. I'm like, so what am I going to do with this? Like I, I ordered enough. Well, you know, it's got a six month shelf life and I'm like, okay, six months from when I order it, six months from when it's manufactured, like when, how, how long was it sitting? Well, it could have sat on, you know, the shelf for a couple months before it shipped out. So I'm like, well, so that's six months from the manufacturer time. So if it sat on the shelf for two months and I get it now, I have a four month shelf life. If it sits on the shelf for four months, I get a two month shelf life. Well, do I order sealer every time? Do I pay for the duties to get it across the border every time? Do I pay extra for shipping every time like it doesn't add up for for a business to say okay uh you know do i order it and and cross my fingers and i talked with john about this the other day i'm like if it turned into that jello slash pudding consistency at what time does the sealer stop being effective is it at three months like where there, there must be a crossover where it's optimal and then it starts going downhill. Like, you know, could I mix it up? Could I could I add water, dilute it, maybe stir it back out? Maybe, I don't know. But what am I what am I gonna have for a product? Am I am I gonna have a product failure at four months? Like it and I know it's not an overnight thing, but it's like uh Tylenol on the shelf. At, at some point the shelf life is is no good. Is it gonna take my headache away? Maybe, but is it gonna be effective as something that's fresh? And it it's just the way that it was. I didn't, I didn't like that aspect. It's like, it's, I'm, I'm gambling with my customers and product. I don't want to do that. And then we made a switch at that point to another sealer. And, and that one was supposed to be quote unquote, you know, freeze thaw stable. And it was, you know, it can last three years in the can and, and whatever the case is for that. And it's the same thing. I've got that one on the shelf. I cracked that open and I don't know enough about the chemistry, but there's, let's call it uh, a half inch at the bottom of the can. And I have to stir that up and, and stir it up in the can. And then the paint is coming off the side of the can that's on the inside of the can. And that's now i got to strain that out. Am I getting a full mix back the other way uh, to blend that back out? Or, or is that less effective as, as what it is, right? Versus the stuff that I've got from ICT, which is like, I shake the bottle up. I put it in and, and I apply it and away I go and I can go back to using the saw 30 minutes later. Did you say the liner is being eaten off the inside of the can and mixing in with the sealer? You betcha. It's that nice gray can liner and then I'm sifting it through coffee strainers or whatever I needed to do and then, and then trying to get that back out of there. And I, if it's dissolving the inside of the can, you can call it food safe if you want when it's all done and ever, but I'm like, it's dissolving the inside of the paint on the can. All these things. So anybody listening, this is not any of us putting down any products, any manufactured products. What we're focusing on and what Brandon and I have continued to try to focus on is that the perspective we're taking is from working in a shop. Simon, everything that you're discussing is costing you time, energy, potential frustration, anxiety, worrying about what's going into a client's home, how long it's going to last. You know, you buy something from a manufacturer, however long it takes you to get there, with an expectation, in this case, shelf life. 
So I'm guessing, you know, that that relationship with that particular manufacturer doesn't exist anymore. Did they ever like, I don't know, replace product or at the very least refund your money? I, I just can't imagine being on both sides of it, wearing both hats. John Schuler ICT, John Schuler Creative Create, and then be able to tell somebody in confidence, meaning confidence in myself to be like, yeah, Simon, I know I had it for three months and you know, you had it for three months. So yeah, it's, uh, just need to order some more, man. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm going to say outright, right. I, I still have contacts with them. I, I actually really love them. I just, they're, they're awesome people, but what's good for their business isn't what's good for my business. Uh, you know, everything, if you take a look from, from just the three of us here in this conversation, I'm sitting at minus 20 today. I'm sure both of you are hordes warmer than I am. Those shop conditions across North America are huge, right? So if you're, if you're in Arizona, there's very little humidity, right? Like I, I'm in an area with very little humidity. But if you go someplace like Ontario, Canada, or if you're, if you're beside one of the lakes or if you're out by the coast, that humidity plays a difference. To expect your sealers in those conditions to work on a, on a topical, from my understanding, right, it's not that way. And I know that you've taken great strengths or great pains to, to make the, I don't know, what do you call it, like less aquaphobic? For, for the sealer, like with the, with the prime, like I love the way that it goes on, but not having to worry about moisture content as much is a big deal to me. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. To be able to put it on a greener concrete. Yeah. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. 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 But I mean, yeah, I agree. Your, your hydration, like you're saying, right? Like if, if my shop is, is sitting at 15% humidity right now, and it's at 80% humidity in the summer, to expect the same performance out of different sealers is, is less reasonable. I think, you know, if, if they're, cause that's, I think the biggest struggle with getting a lot of those other sealers on is how dry is the surface, how, how, and, and, and I don't really like taking a tiger torch to my surfaces. That's my preference. I I've, I've screwed up surfaces because you hold it in one spot too long and now I got a micro fracture there or, I'll go over the spot and it'll change colors or because, you know, you know, depending on what you're using for a pigment, right? Um, not all pigments can take that heat. Well, that's actually now that you brought that one up, I, I've shied away from that specific conversation or, you know, from I've heard from different people, the whole taking. So let's let's just say you are dealing with a now we use a moisture meter, but let's say you're doing a 8 percent moisture in the concrete via a moisture meter. Running a torch over the surface to, quote unquote, dry out the concrete, that's, it doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. Your concrete's 8% moisture. The only thing that's actually going to happen is on the very, very subsurface, but then moisture from the concrete's going to wick quicker to the surface. It doesn't actually dry out anything. That is a major, major misconception. I know I've heard it a lot from people. But that's not how it works. Um, so that being said, no, the, the, I still go back. That's why for us, it's always been a focus on cure practices. And when we talk about dehydrating the concrete, it's not about moisture actually leaving the system. It's all about converting the moisture of the concrete to the crystalline form that you're trying to do anyway, by default, by consuming that moisture into 
a hydration byproduct of some sort, meaning crystalline forms and et cetera, you inherently get a drier concrete, meaning less moisture, not somehow putting it in some version of a dehydrator and then drawing the moisture out of the concrete. I mean, that's a completely different conversation. Yeah, well, you can do it, but it takes a lot longer than what you'll do with the torch. You have to put it in a space with heaters and dehumidifiers and let, let it do its thing. Agreed. It's yeah. going to take some time. Agreed. Several days to get it to where you need it to be. Uh, something I wanted to hit on, Simon, was the Slurian pinholes. So if you're doing the dusty crete type look, that's part of the look. It's not Slurian pinholes. He's, he's using his casting powder to create imperfections and then filling it with slurry. So you're expecting to slurry your piece. And in that case, it's just part of the process. But for me, and I think for you, you're doing as cast GFRC pieces or ECC pieces or UHPC pieces, however you want to phrase it, but you're doing it as cast. And when you demold it, if you have to slurry, if you spot slurry one area, we've all tried it, and then you polish it, you know, with a spin flex or even a water polish or whatever, and then you seal it, you'll see where you slurried it. It stains the concrete every time. It's, it's inevitable. So then what you end up doing is you have one spot over here that needs pinners slurried, but you have to slurry the whole piece, everything. And cut it all off so when you seal it, you don't have that one spot that stands out like a sore thumb. So for me, not having pinners, air holes that I have to resolve at the end of the process is more than, you know, a small time savings. It's a huge time savings in the potential for having issues of color getting, you know, stained, splotchy, whatever from, from slurry. Because inevitably, you cut it off, you think it's all off, then you seal it, and there's one spot where you can get it off completely, and it's a different color. So I've been down that road so many times back in the old days with the older mixes we were using, but that's one of the, you know, tremendous benefits of the Kodiak Pro products is the density and the complete lack of entrained air. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's the, the thing that I like so far with my samples. That's another one. I, I Like we're redoing our samples, obviously, so that I can have Makery Fix and, and Radmix samples, but even processing out my samples, right? Like you want to make sure that your samples are real world to whatever you're bringing your customers so we do some processing on our samples and that means you know filling in the pinholes i i did a uh, mother of pearl sample here just the other day for a terrazzo so i poured that one at uh i think i poured that one at 9 a.m and i had polished it off to a beautiful finish zero pinholes just came out perfect at 10 o'clock that night so i mean uh, it was less than 12 hours and I had a, a perfectly clean piece of concrete without any pinholes. And I've, I've done terrazzos on a few different projects and, and half my battle is, is the air that goes in around them. And it, there wasn't, there was no air, there was nothing. It was just like a, a perfect piece of concrete without having to do anything except for polish it off. I, I was just astounded because that was not something I was used to. I was used to like, okay, I'm going to polish it off at night here. I'm going to slurry and I'll come back in the morning and I'll, I'll finish that off. That's not what I did. It was like 12 hours. I'm done. I had a sample in 12 hours that I could have taken to a customer the day after without any problems. Well, I'm going to throw some, as we keep talking, Simon, I never asked, do you have children? I mean, family? Yeah, I've got a couple of kids. Uh, both my kids are, are growing up, but both of them help us out in the business when they can. Most of the time, it's just my wife and I working with it's a, it's a family business. So uh, my wife comes to the shop. We don't have 
have any other hired hands. My son, thank the Lord, he's uh, he's strong enough that uh, almost all the installs where I've had to do pieces, uh, I've taken him along on, on these big ones, and it's just been him and I muscling in some pretty monster pieces. You know, we we just the two of us and getting it done, and I, I end up stealing him away from from other things that he could be doing. So I really appreciate that. Our daughter helps us with artwork on uh, on design things that we want to get some artwork done on and and that type type of stuff and and then my wife uh makes sure that i stay the course which uh i think everybody needs kind of uh you know somebody to balance it out it's like okay you got to get down and buckle do this this, and and whatever in in the shop and getting it done so uh, without those things you know it'd be a, a whole different game so okay so based on that here was my line of question you know i'll try to make it as simple as possible as Brandon and I continue to strive, putting more information out on material cost, we've you know we've touched a little bit today on labor cost, meaning again pinholes or you know products like you just said with your um, mother of pearl and less slurry time, and we often talk about you know what your value of time is in general. You have family; they come into the shop. You're doing things. When you decided or even thought about moving this direction, what was your goal? Was it just, hey, I want a better product? I mean, what, what was your goal and are you achieving it? I guess that's my hopefully simple question. Yeah, I think that we're slowly getting everything to the point where I, I want to spend as little time processing when I'm done as possible. Uh, the The way that most of us make money here is is the money happens the second it gets to the customer's house, right? Everything up to that point is part of the the cost of doing business. So whether it's traveling and picking up materials, talking to the customer on the phone, sitting and waiting for stuff to cure out, making your forms, all that stuff adds up in time. I excel at making form work. I, I It takes me very little time to do a lot of the complex forms because I have a background in carpentry that that other guys struggle and I've helped out some guys in the community and, and, you know, Hey, this is how you cut a draft angle on your, your table saw. So you're not fighting with it or, or, you know, this is how you set up your saw or whatever the case is so that you have fewer hours making your mold. Cause you know, it's all those things add up in time. So we try and get to the point where as you know, anywhere that we can kind of make our business more lean, that's what we're trying to do. And you know, if it comes at a cost of more money spent, it's it's the time back. One of the things that we did when I was a, a carpenter, for just to use it as an example, if a tool cost $500 and it saved me three minutes a day, it's a no-brainer. I buy the tool because at three minutes a day, over the course of a year, I save one full day of labor, right? So if, if the, if the tool is going to save me a whole day of labor, that's perfect. So, and I take a look at, at makers mix in the same way. I take a look at ICT in the same way. Uh, if it's going to save me time over the, over the course of a year, and I have that much more time to put into something else. So, so let's take uh, pinholes. If I spent seven hours slurring out a kitchen and the waiting out and getting all that done, and I can slurry out less, or maybe not at all, if it's a nice dense mix and I can get done, then that buys me back eight hours. That buys me back, say, $500 every project. That's a huge amount. It's not just a little tiny amount of time. It's, it's you know, 
Now, now you're talking about dollars per minute instead of dollars per hour. It's a huge difference. And you have eight hours with your kids that you wouldn't have had if you're sitting there slurring and polishing and everything else. You know, it's part of it that I'm, I'm focused a lot more on now and John is, I know you are with kids is just family time is so much, so much more important than when we were young and we were in the shop till two or three in the morning, seven days a week. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know I told my son a couple times this year, I said, I'm going to go fishing with you. And then all through the entire summer, I missed every single fishing trip all last year. And it breaks my heart because it's like, that's one of the things I wanted to do is like, hey, I want to go out and spend some time with my kids. They're both adults now. But I mean, it's still, if I could take that time and do that, or if I want to go and take time to go see a movie, and I'm, I'm all of a sudden, I've got a deadline. And I'm sitting there filling pinholes at nine o'clock at night and then getting up at two o'clock in the morning and polishing that out so I can get the thing out the door. That's your song, buddy. That's, that all adds up, right? And it's not, once that time's gone, it's gone. I get it. Just the other day. <laughs> <laughs> your son sitting out by the lake with a fishing pole and dad's at work slurring that countertop because it has a thousand pinners in it. I, I took my son to the lake twice this year because I had deliveries at the lake. And I'm like, you know, this is, this is the only way it's going to happen, right? Like I, I took him along. He helped me install the counters. And as I got everything kind of set in place, he went out on the dock and went fishing. And I was like, that's awesome. But that was the only time that I could break away to get it done this year. I was like, oh man. And, and that's not going to happen this year. This year it's, it's going to be a better year. Cause I can already tell that that processing time is already going to be less that, you know, those time savings are going to be there. Is there a learning curve? Absolutely. Is it worth it? Absolutely. You know, if, if I can cut down on the amount of time it takes to get the, the, the stuff done, that just is a huge benefit. hundred percent agree. And, you know, not to keep standing on a soapbox, in my opinion, one of the big keys there that has led Brandon and I success, which now sharing that success in materials is we've lived through that. And we're, and we're coming from a shop setting and we've always tried to focus the materials the same way it's from the shop and how I don't want to be at the shop 12 hours a day. And it's not that I don't like the shop. I enjoy when I have a project going, but that that's, that's not where I want my life. So you know, we keep moving this direction for exactly the reasons that, that we're talking about right now. Obviously, yes, great density, high strength, you know, ability to seal, longevity of the surfaces, quality. That's all part of it. But the big part that's often left off the conversation is time, you know. And I don't want to sound like an old fogey, but yeah, it's, it's a huge part that's... I think a lot of people don't focus on as much until they have family. Or until they get old like you, and then they realize they're running out of time. Exactly. <laughs> Borrowed time. Borrowed Dude, time. Anytime anybody starts a sentence with, not to stand on my soapbox, that's them stepping then up on Then I'm on soapbox. my soapbox. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> You're just no, like announcing, I'm getting on yeah. my soapbox. If I, can, if I can back up the conversation a little further on costs. Uh, sure. Brandon, uh, sorry, John and I talked about it yesterday because I phoned John. I'm like, you know, what's with the fiber loading? It's it's lower than what I'm used to, right? On on the other products I'm using, I'm I was loading it at three uh, percent. Now it's what is it? Is it two percent? Is the the recommendation? Uh, I haven't bothered to to run it through the calculator to see what it is, but I mean, I'm using yeah. if I'm using a third less 
fibers. And anybody who's tried to buy certain fibers this year has found out, right, it's it's getting pretty scarce out there for not for the ARs, but for the Rex 100s and stuff. I, I phoned up to get Rex 100s yesterday. It's like maybe August I'll get them. I don't know. It's getting it's getting harder and harder to find. But if you're using a third less fibers, I don't know how that breaks out into to the square footage price. But I mean, I think that brings us even closer in alignment than I, it makes it certainly less than 70 cents a square foot. It's going to be, you know, whatever the fiber cost is, is another higher cost item in, in the terms of the mix after, after the additives, right? It's, it's higher than the cost of oh, you take in, uh, sand, right? You take into account the much lower pigment loadings. And then, yeah, you take into account the lower fiber amounts required. And the 74 cents is now flipped. But the big thing is the time. The time savings is where your profitability is won and lost. That's where at the end of the year, your profit is made. I posted a graphic uh, on Facebook that kind of broke down our cost difference of our product versus a traditional GFRC mix. And we broke down all the different costs on everything. In my Facebook post, I talk about time and how a lot of guys are, when they, when they value time, they're valuing what they pay their employee. Oh, I pay my guy 20 bucks an hour. So that's what my time is worth. No, that's what you pay your one employee. But you have a shop, you have rent, you have taxes, you have cost of goods sold, you have, you know, all these different expenses. And I list them all out on there. And so in a very modest shop, your hourly cost isn't 20 bucks an hour, it's 220 bucks an hour. And that's a very conservative estimate. 220 an hour, not 20. So 220 an hour, and that's, that's for a small shop. These guys that have five, six, seven employees, you know, take that up by four or five times. But 220 an hour, if you save seven hours on not slurring times 220, it's $1,500 you just saved. So that's 74 cents a square foot, which was $67 for a kitchen. You save 1,700 in time. It's insane. It's incredible. Absolutely. And, and when you save that time, right, I said it's the next the next project in the shop is, is tomorrow's bill, right? It's, it's success is due every day. You've got to do that work every day. But if it's out the door that much quicker, you can, you can focus on larger projects. You can focus on doing those, those uh, projects that, you know, hey, I got this really great idea if I could only get enough time to, to develop it, right? So, you know, you know, I don't know how many times, I, I don't know how many projects I've got on the back burner. It's like, hey, I want to get that out the door. I got to make one of these, or I've, I've got this idea that's really cool, but I can't get to it because I'm spending all my time processing or, or getting something else done. Or there's been times in my life, I wanted more time off. I wanted more time to do what I want to do, whether that's lay by the pool or go hiking or mountain biking or whatever it is. I don't feel like being in the shop every single day. And I used to work more to try to work less, if that makes sense. I'd be like, well, if I, if I just do this, if I just come out with a standard line, if I just do this, I can, you know, generate this amount right. of income and that'll buy me the time. But no, instead of, instead of saving time, I was working more. Instead of being in a shop 40 hours, in a shop 60 hours, because now I added this whole other thing to it. And the realization I had is if I want to work less, I have to work less. And as stupid as that sounds, that was like an epiphany for me. If I want to work less, I have to work less. That's all there is to it. I'm not going to dig myself out of this problem by piling more on. So if you want to work less, which a lot of people do, a lot of people do want to spend time with their family or they do, hey, I want a mountain bike two days a week. Well, okay. The way you do that is you don't spend so much time in the shop. And the way you spend less time in the shop is you improve your processes through right. casting, materials, sealing, all of that. You improve that and you, you save those two days. And now you can either spend those two days making the next project or you can take those two days 
to do whatever you want to do. And, you know, ultimately in the day, that's, we're all in this business to set our own schedule to do what we want to do. You know, we could all go work in corporate America and make a good income, safe, you know, insurance, retirement, all that kind of fun stuff. But we want to set our own schedule. We want to do what we want to do when we want to do it. And that's how you do it. Agreed. So Simon, I got another question for you. I, I've never asked this one. I just, as I was sitting here thinking. So as you've moved this direction, now let's focus on Sealer for a minute. You've had your ups and downs. We just talked about shelf life, you know, um, some of the products eating inside of a can and, you know, the steps you have to go through to filter it out and et cetera. One of the issues out there that, again, let's say people hold on to is this fear about using ICT because it's a breathable technology, which means at some point, when someone sets a wet item, a wet glass or whatever the case may be, you can pick that glass up and they'll be what I refer to as a vapor ring. And that vapor ring goes away. So curious, as you've navigated this path to where you're at, what, ha- what are you doing or what have you done to either update your expectations with your clients now that you're using this technology? And, you know, how comfortable have you become with this technology? setting those expectations, whatever they might be. Yeah, I think that the approach is going to be exactly that. It's going to be setting the expectations that, hey, this is concrete. This is the reason you're buying concrete. That's part of the beauty of it. If you wanted something that was made of plastic, I'm certainly able to sell you something made out of plastic. But I think that I think that my expectations, I going back to what you when you and I very first talked and I said, hey, how come I've never heard of ICT? It's like, what's going on? Like, and, and I think that that stigma is in the industry of, of hey, like, what's going on? Um, I came from that woodworking background. And one of the uh, products that I used back in woodworking was for uh, sealing wood. And the guy had made some claims about uh, the sealer that, not, not the sealer, but the product that um, you could use it on concrete. And and I did. I used it on on a few on my on some of my earlier projects, and and the idea was that hey, it's going to densify the concrete and it's going to seal it up. You know, the water will still moisture. You know, will wick through. And we just we're just going back to those expectations. Part of the reason we went to the topicals in the first place is because well, that's what the guys that I trained with said, right? It's kind of like oh, that's uh, that's what I've seen out there. So I mean, if to be successful, I'm going to have to duplicate what some of these guys have done. As I've gotten further into the industry, you know, as I, I talk to more and more people, it's like, okay, well, maybe my expectations were wrong. It's not my customer's expectations, it's my personal expectations of what's supposed to happen. You know, uh, the other thing I found is I've had to go back on on a couple of jobs and redo jobs on site because I've had sealer failure. And to never have to do that again because of the way that the sealer sealer fails. I don't think that I can't think of an instance where ICT would fail in that same way, right? I, it's not. I, I don't see a possibility of it turning white or or flaking off. Like it, it's not designed that way. Where the other ones are. So we did. I did one here. It's a water-based sealer I used last February. I had it in the shop for two days. I brought it into the city, and whether it hadn't cured long enough. Uh, in the shop or whatever, but between driving to the place for for delivery, 
the concrete froze because it was minus 30 out, right? So now whatever chemical reaction that was happening in that sealer failed, right? Or it stopped or retarded or, or just quit altogether. But then, you know, three weeks down the road, the whole, the whole countertop ghosted, right? Everything turned white and creamy and gross. And then it's, you know, two days of cleaning it to get it back to square one. So those expectations, I don't think I'll ever have that again, right? So, you know, if, if I'm dealing with a more rock solid product, then everything about it's just easier for me. I just want to hit something real quick. ICT today, and you came on at the right time, Simon. Like you came to the, to the land of ICT and high performance mix at the <laughs> right time. True. Had you come to ICT seven, eight, nine years ago, it would have turned white on you. That was one of the things because it was moisture sensitive back then. It was just right. a, a part of the sealer. And uh, plenty of guys, including me, would seal something and it would haze over. And it wasn't permanent. It was just, well, let it do its thing, clean it. It'll, it'll slow down and eventually stop. And that always happened for me. The pieces that I applied ICT too soon to, they were still too much moisture. They would ghost like that. I tell the client, hey, just clean it like normal. And uh, that will eventually stop happening. And it always did. The clients were never upset about it. But that was one of the, one of the kind of downsides. But ICT's day, it's not an issue. But if there ever is an issue with ICT, it's easy to go in and repair. That's the big thing is failure is going to happen. It's part of it. Somebody's going to do something to that concrete that was unanticipated outside the scope of any normal material, you know, outside the expectation of what's reasonable, but they're going to do something to it. They're going to call you up. Hey, I don't know what happened, but uh, there's a spot on my countertop and you go out there and it's easy enough to buff that spot, apply more sealer. You're in and out in 15, 20 minutes. So that's one of the, the major benefits is when that does happen, which it will happen at some point, it's not a big deal to take care of it. Another thing, I think that you guys have probably heard the same things that I've heard in the industry. There's a lot of stupid questions. I'm going to call them that because they're stupid questions. So clients come up all the time and, and they ask really dumb questions. And I'm not going to say every client, but there's a lot of question, uh, clients that go, well, how does the concrete stand up to heat? Like if I took something out of the broiler and I set it on fire on my concrete, what's going to happen to it? It's like, well, do you do that to your existing countertops now? Like when, why is it, why is fire the thing that is setting it? Like who's doing that? Like put a hot plate under it or, or whatever. Probably nothing's going to happen, but where is the instances of these types of things happening? Like if, if I leave pickles on my countertop for four days, What's going to happen? I don't know. Were you leaving pickles on your other countertops? Like, I don't know. Like, if you're going to be a messy person, maybe concrete's not for you. I don't know. Well, here's the deal, but, though. You're assuming these people are just asking us these questions, but they might go to a car dealership and be like, if I hit the windshield with a baseball bat, is it going to hurt it? Yeah, right. Yeah, it's, <laughs> like I said, they're, they're ridiculous <laughs> questions. Like, how are the standards for these questions? Like, so you know that there's some guy out at some trade show that they went to at some point in the planet. It's like, hey, look at these countertops. I'm stabbing it with my kitchen knife and nothing's happening, right? Like, that's not a real world standard. So, you know, we're trying to meet the customer's expectations. It's like, well, are you going to stab the, the kitchen knife into the countertop over and over again? Like, is that something that you're you're going to do? I don't want to be in the coatings business. I, I, I don't want to be a sealer salesperson, right? Because I think that's what it ends up being. It's like, if I got to sell 
based on you know what what the quality of my sealer is today and i have to meet so many expectations of that that's no longer working for us it's it's too much of my day in a conversation i don't want to have you know what i mean um if i can say hey this is this is the concrete this is what we're at there's there's a quote unquote sealer it's not a topical like whatever uh, you know some of the things that you may have come to see in other places but this is the expectation out of it it's an easier conversation to have because you've, you've met your customer's expectation on that level i don't see anything but benefits from telling the customer those things i i don't want to be going back to homes and redoing i know it uh, i talked to you about that one earlier i think maybe both of you we did another sealer that was solvent based and i was borderline having to pay my client for a hotel room so i could go back in and reseal it because you couldn't live there and me have to reseal it because like that like i don't know if there's a few people using the solvent based ones that's a like a real thing for me where it's like okay that was in a client's house if I had to pay for hotel night, you know, a hotel stay for him for a day, that would be say $150. And, and and if I get lucky, that's a single day. But I've got retail clients, I've got commercial clients. So what if I sold that to a sushi place and he's got to shut down his restaurant for three days for me to redo that? And then, oh, by the way, don't talk to your fishmonger for those three days because you better not have anything in the cooler because whatever's in there is going to pick up the the taste. Is that a cost that I can afford? You know, it's not it's not something that I'd want to have that conversation. But I can't see those problems happening with ICT because the nature of it. And you know, most of those things, if if you take good care of your stuff and you wipe off stuff instead of letting it sit under a cup for three days like the tests go, they're not going to stain because you're not going to leave it on there that long. When you started on this path of of starting your business you had an idea of embracing the materials for what the materials are, the beauty of the materials, the concrete and and excitement to put it out there. And along your path, you got in front of people, went to courses and were taught things that, you know, made you go a, a, a different direction, which good, bad or otherwise, you've paid the price for, you've learned, and and now you're coming full circle back to embracing the materials and putting expectations of, about what the concrete is rather than, like you said, I, you don't want to be in the business of, you know, selling, a co- well, whatever, the coating or, you know, the, the the final thing put on the concrete. That's pretty amazing, man. That's That's so good for you. It was a, it's an easy sell for me. Uh, why we were moving towards Makers Mix and Rad Mix. Everybody else took the approach of we've got to make a better sealer. We've got to do this better. We've got to make, you know, we've got to protect that porousness of, of that. Uh, to going the other direction of making the concrete better, I think that opens up more doors. You know, if you can design a piece to do something that you you know to hold that detail and not worry about when you you know if you've got to do some processing and and have that disappear by doing some abrading or or doing some uh, sanding to the surface if it can hold the details better that just makes everything 
easier for me as an artisan to to develop a higher level of quality. You know, if if you're working with just a 30 weight sand and you've got a profile, then the best I can have for quality in, in terms of what shows up is that 30 unless I uh, keep it a cream finish. But, you know, if you've got smaller particle packing, I can keep details in at a higher level. So it opens up possibilities that I wouldn't have otherwise had. You know, I, I think that taking the concrete to a higher level makes more sense than taking the sealers to a higher level on topicals, not, not saying ICT, because I think the way that ICT does it is you've already got a high level concrete and you elevate that concrete further. If I've got that right, right? Like you're, yeah, you're, exactly. you're putting on a densifier and I never understood that either. Um, when you do a polished floor, that's the second step after cutting everything is densifying the floor. I never understood in the concrete countertop or, or that industry on a decorative side, why we weren't densifying and, and other than, no, 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 Simon, don't densify that because then the sealer won't stick. Seemed very bass backwards to me, right? Very much so. But part of that has always been the focus where, you again, the, the path that you came from was always focused on a topical-based technology. And a topical-based technology needs its ability to mechanically stick. And I know that's, again, it's a subjective way of talking, like, oh, mechanically, what does that mean? But ultimately, it means the concrete itself needs a certain amount of porosity for the, the, let's call it the foot. So for the foot to take hold in the concrete and hold well. And if those bonds break or slowly deteriorate, which, again, this is not a sealer chemistry kind of thing. This is the movement of the concrete. So that the feet break out of the pore structure, whatever, maybe by vapor pressure or time or abuse or use and wear, then ultimately that shortens the lifespan of a topical film that's based on mechanically sticking. So that's where you came from. So yeah, densifying and closing pore structure, yeah, that, that would not be optimal for a topical. They maybe didn't explain it that way, but that's the idea. So we got to wrap this up. Simon, I got one more quick question for you. In your business, based on the direction you're heading, what do you see your path, your future? I see down the road here, uh, getting into hopefully doing some uh, design work along with some of our great designers that we work with on, on a daily basis to maybe bringing some high-end concrete furniture pieces to the marketplace in Canada, maybe some of it going down to the States, I don't know. I, I, I like the idea of, of doing kitchens, of course, but I don't see that the, the longevity of my business is there. I think it's designing pieces that I can have more fun with. You know, it, it, there's being in, in the industry that we've been in and doing the inside of houses. I've seen so many inside of houses that, you know, that's great and all, but I, I want to stretch out and then and then do something that puts my brand on the marketplace. That you know, hey, that's a piece that Simon and and Michelle made. That's a piece from from Phoenix Concrete Works, and make it one of those pieces or pieces that get recognition. Or hey, you know, that's a piece that I could see me putting in the living room or being able to design around to to finish up uh, a design or or whatever the case may be. But I want to be able to develop something that you know leaves my mark and, and something that, you know, are heirloomable pieces. I want to be able to make pieces that are around a hundred years from now 
you know, 200 years from now, something that's going to have that longevity and staying pieces, like, uh, you know, some of the pieces of furniture that are out there in, in wood and craft and stuff and, and handmade that, uh, that is built to last a long time and people can be proud of and, and keep for years to come. Awesome, man. Well, I'm glad we were helping you make the, the materials that's going to help you find that success. That's amazing. It's great. Thanks, guys. It's been a great conversation. I hope we can have uh, another discussion in, in the future and, and uh, on how we do with Makers Mix a couple months down the road and have some pieces that are, are you know, otherwise nearly impossible to make without Makers because I think that there's some projects now that I could take off the back burner and do those things with. Absolutely. That's great. Awesome. Sounds All great. right, Simon. Good talking to you, buddy. Good talking to you, Simon. Take care, guys. Adios, amigo. Take care.